0: Hello again, and welcome to the Planet Beyond podcast, brought to you by Fugro, the leading partner in delivering geodata from the greatest subsea depths right to outer space, and hosted by me, John Baston-Pitt. In the modern workplace, it is generally accepted that a diverse team leads to better outcomes, that a lack of diversity can lead to limits on the creativity and solutions a group can deliver. Yet despite this, there are still roadblocks to equality in industry. We learned about some of these in episode 25, Women in Hydrography, a field which sees few women promoted to more senior positions. And we also look at this again in episode 29, when we will explore how to encourage more girls to pursue STEM subjects. But today, I'm talking to Jill Whitty Collins about diversity and culture in the workplace itself, a topic that really anchors this whole mini focus we're having. Jill's new book is titled, Why Men Win at Work. In a moment, We'll we'll talk through the book, but first Jill, welcome to Planet Beyond. Now, why don't you tell us how you came to write it? I know you worked for many years in a senior role in Procter and Gamble. What was that role and how did that inspire you to write this book?
1: Yes, hello John. Thank you for thank you for having me. Yeah, you know, I always say this is not a book I would have written. 10 years ago I had a very very long career at p I was there for over 26 years and you know I was born near Liverpool I was the third of three daughters and I was very much brought up by my parents to believe I was the equal of anybody boy man whoever and not really to even question equality and you know, my right to it or anybody's right to it. And I continued to believe that for a really long time um, and not see it as an issue for a really long time. You know, I went to PNG, I was promoted and promoted and promoted to director, to general manager, and then ultimately to senior vice president there. My last job there was senior vice president for the beauty business for Europe, India, Middle East, and Africa. And it was really at that level So, you know, good 20 plus years into my career, that I started to understand this dynamic and this issue of inequality and lack of diversity in a culture. Because that was the point where, you know, I was in executive meetings, I was in board meetings that were suddenly 80% plus men, male dominant culture. And it was the first time in my life, actually, that I'd been in a male dominant culture never experienced that before i'd always been in a very equal and diverse culture before and i very much felt that that was very different and i felt that it had an impact on me but more importantly because it's not about me i could really see the impact it was having on the women around mm. me as well and that they were different women in those rooms in mm. those meetings in that culture and so I became very fascinated by it became a student of the whole subject red lots articles books, everything I could get my hands on, and really started to understand it, understood it also from my personal perspective and hypotheses about why does this happen? Because it doesn't happen because men are bad. Most men, I continue to believe, despite little things that happen, most men are good and decent and well-intended. And don't wake up in the morning saying, let's build the patriarchy and destroy women. I, I don't think men do that. So I was fascinated with why is this happening? Why are we creating and perpetuating a really unequal world and real, a real lack of diversity, despite all of the good intentions? So I said, you know what, I've got a lot to say about this. And I'm going to, as soon as I leave this job, The first thing I will do will be I'm going to write a book about this and get it all down and share it um, because I thought it would be helpful and I think it has been helpful.
0: Well, I can tell you it is definitely helpful. From my perspective, I've just finished reading your book and, and it's taught me a few things about myself and about what I've experienced over the last 30, no, no, 40 years of business. So a genuine big thank you. Somebody listening to this, though, might say to you, why did it take you 20 years to start realising there was an issue here?
1: I see myself as very lucky that it took me 20 years because it took me 20 years of career, so, you know, into my 40s before I found myself in a male-dominant culture or any form of dominant culture. And I know many women and many people find themselves in a dominant culture that they're not part of long before that. You know, it happens much, much younger. So I think, hey, do you know what? I'm really lucky. I went a long way without that. And I think the reason was, very good company it's one of the best companies in the world there's a huge amount of focus on this i was a marketing person before i became a general manager and a senior vice president marketing is you know notoriously much 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 more gender equal and diverse so it was very much 50 50 50 until the director level whereas you know some of my friends and colleagues who were brought up in sales or product supply or r d they experienced the male dominant culture much, much earlier. In any organization, you reach a point, if you go senior enough, you reach a point where you wake up and say, hold on a minute, where have all the women gone? I'm literally surrounded by men and I'm in a very male dominant culture. And I investigated it. And the more I read and the more I explored, the more I realized this isn't, this isn't me This isn't this company. This isn't these women. This isn't these men. This is everywhere. I mean, you know, every culture, every country, every organization, every company that you look at, you will see, no matter how equal things start out and how diverse things start out, look at the top level and it will be 90% plus men.
0: One of my big takeaways from your book was the value of equality. These businesses are missing out big time. Greater opportunity is brought to a business to be more competitive by maintaining that equality all the way through to the boardroom. So there's a huge downside without equality. But it seems from the statistics that you shared, that there's still a lot to do.
1: Absolutely. And you know, the data, there's stacks of data on this, not my data research that's been done long, long, long before I woke up to to this massive issue, you know, consistently showing that organizations and companies that have equal and diverse leadership, gender, gender equality, gender diversity, and frankly, all forms of diversity at the top will deliver significantly better top line results, and significantly better profitability. In the region, of pretty consistently, around 30%. More diverse teams will have better discussions, they'll make better decisions, they'll have better strategies, they'll have better plans, they'll deliver better results. And that's why it's very logical, actually. So, If we believed it, if we all believed it, this would happen very, very quickly. But I think people don't or it's not top of mind. And I think one of the reasons for that is it's very, very comfortable to be in the dominant culture when you're part of the dominant culture. It
0: feels really good. You used a lovely analogy in the book about a goldfish. If you ask a goldfish, what do you think about the water the goldfish will say, what water? We don't question the environment we've been in all our lives. You talked about another interesting idea, feminist phobia. Why do a lot of people, men and women, find feminism scary? And I ask, you know, have you got feminist
1: phobia? And a lot of people do. All genders, by the way. And I think The big reason for that is there's a lot of baggage attached to feminism that has absolutely nothing to do with it, that should have absolutely nothing to do with it. Feminism is very simply, should very simply be about equality, about equal rights and equal opportunity, economically, politically, socially. That's it. It's essentially equality. And so, there's no reason for anyone to have feminist phobia if, if you understand that that's what it is.
0: You put a lot of data in the book that really worked as a message for me, and I think men in general. I, I was, I was going yes, yes, yes on, on every page, but you do address some of the things that women need to do, and you, you have a chapter called Sisters are not doing it for themselves. You make the point that women don't always help other women. Why is that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I worked really hard to take take a man's hand and walk him through this and walk from where a man starts on this journey and this understanding. So that was extremely important to me. I am absolutely not one of those women who's going to say that women – This is a problem for women and a problem that women need to solve. Um, This is absolutely men have a ton of work that they need to do to address gender inequality and to change this world, frankly, that that we're living in. I think one of many, many things that women do need to do better is exactly as, as you said, sisters are not doing it for themselves is one of the chapters. Too many women who make it to the top do not hold the ladder down for other women, or they shake it so violently that younger women have no chance of keeping hold of it. They protect their own position. And that's a real shame, and and that has to change.
0: Yes, that is vital. I'd hope women in senior positions feel they can and should hold the ladder for other women. But what should we men be doing what are we getting wrong? I didn't I didn't feel that like you were arguing we are by and large trying to hold women back. So what are you saying?
1: I think it is really fascinating because it's unconscious, right? So this is it really goes back to this point of virtually Every man on the planet is not doing this stuff deliberately, right? He is not going into work. He's not going into making a decision about who to promote or who to give a job to. Consciously thinking, I am going to promote a man. I'm going to give it to a man. I'm going to give it to a man who looks like me or went to my college or school or plays my sport or likes my football." Men are not consciously doing that. But what is happening, and this is what's fascinating, is unconsciously, a lot of invisible and very powerful forces are combining to really, really convince men that the man who's the candidate is the strongest candidate, he's the strongest performer, he's the best, he has the most potential, he's the one who should get the job. absolutely convinced me you know why do men have over 90% of all the leadership positions in the world it's very simple because we think they're better we give them the big job because we think they're better but the issue is that can't be right can it it cannot be right that in over 90% of cases the man is the best we know that women are 50% of the population We know that women are equally intelligent, equally capable. We know they have equal leadership ability. I don't think anyone sensible even questions all of that. So it can't be right that if women are 50% of the population and the intelligence and the capability of the world, that the man is the best for the job in over 90% of the cases. So 50% of the time they are, but the rest of the time they're not. And those are all sorts of fascinating things. Invisible forces like the invisible power of culture, the competence versus confidence equation. I talk about the umbrella theory. I talk about the time gap. All of these things that are making us ultimately come to the conclusion that the man is stronger when actually he's not necessarily strong. We can talk about all of all of those. They're all quite complex in themselves. They are so powerful and they have us absolutely convinced that we've got the right man for the job. And sometimes, you know what, we haven't.
0: I'd like to unpick some of those three or four things you just listed there. Let's start with competence and confidence. Because I found this again, I'm just using a whole bunch of superlatives here because I got carried away reading this. You went back to school to explain some of these things, the way that children are educated, the way that boys and girls are educated, and what they learn from that.
1: Yeah, so I talk about um, the competence versus confidence equation, and I think it is one of the most powerful dynamics that it is at play and in generally favouring men and generally working against women. And, you know, it starts from the fundamental human treat- truth that – we love confidence, right? We, we like confident people. If somebody is confident in themselves, we are confident in them. If somebody shows up in front of us and they f- seem to feel really confident that they've got this and they can do it, then we feel confident that they can do it. And, and the reverse is true. If somebody looks shaky in front of us and they don't look sure, How can we possibly be sure? So I think first thing to say is confidence is just important. I don't think that's ever going to change. I don't think we can, we're ever going to reprogram ourselves not to be drawn towards the confident candidate or the confident employee. But the issue is that for many, many reasons that go right back and, you know, as you've mentioned, start at school, even in childhood and, you know, School develops that, school per- per- uh, perpetuates it. They have less confidence in themselves generally, even if they are just as competent, maybe even more so. And so, obviously, that creates a problem, right? Because we're biased, we're very biased towards the confident person. And if we're not being very, very aware and thinking, hold on a minute, am I falling into the trap of the competence versus confidence equation? Am I really seeing the most competent person here? Or am I just seeing the most confident if I'm not looking behind the confident curtain, as I call it, and saying, is there somebody who is not projecting themselves confidently and maybe not projecting themselves at all? Maybe they're completely invisible to me, who's absolutely brilliant and, and frankly better than this very confident chap in front of me. If we're not doing that, we're going to consistently miss out on, on brilliant people and brilliant uh, candidates, so it's a really important dynamic. But equally, again, it's got you know everyone's got work to do here. I think the the managers, the employers, the recruiters, the people who are making the decision on the promotion, they've got to be really savvy about the competence versus confidence equation. But I also think as individuals, we just have to accept that projecting confidently is really, really important.
0: You talked about those early years. Boys get taught early that they can make mistakes. Whereas girls are encouraged to push for perfection. That perhaps explains why girls often get better grades, but does that help them at work? Work is not school and uh, work
1: is not Getting A grades and passing exams and getting the best possible score that you can. What I believe is that possibly the most simple way to think about it is that possibly the key reason why girls generally have less confidence than boys, women have less confidence, therefore, than men, is the development of what I call perfectionist syndrome at school. And whilst boys are learning, to mess around, to not necessarily do their homework, to certainly not do their homework on time, to probably not do it neatly, to be scolded eight times more in an average day than the girls for all of these reasons, and learning along the way that it's fine. It was fine not to be perfect. It was fine to fail. It was fine not to get the best marks on everything. Nothing bad happened. It's all Fine. Meanwhile, the girls getting their A grades, getting their A pluses, getting patted on the back, being liked and rewarded for their neatness and their good girl behavior, being trained, I'm afraid in too many instances, to be perfectionists and to believe that if I am perfect, everything will be fine. And if I am not perfect, everything will be bad. So then you go out into the workplace with those mentalities. And of course, who does better in the real world? Who does better in the real world where there, there, there are no exams? There are no perfect answers. There is no single answer. There are multiple answers and choices, and you just have to decide what to do and have a go. Of course, boys and men are much better equipped for that.
0: And that equips them better for one of the really important parts of many people's work the meeting how do those attitudes learned at school translate into confidence or, or or lack of confidence in the meeting room
1: meetings are just are just so important for careers you know the reality is that our bosses don't see most of the work that we do on a day to day the actual work that we do because there are Doing all the things that they need to do. What they do see though is how we perform in meetings. They see how people show up and how they contribute and how smart they seem. So it's it's a performance, but it's an extremely important one. And it's again, it's not gonna, that's not gonna change. So how we do perform in those meetings is extremely important. And in general, again, men perform better in the meetings now that's driven by lots of things and obviously one of them is the the competence versus confidence equation if in general men are more confident of course they show up more confidently in meetings they have more confidence to express their points they have less perfectionist syndrome so the women are often generally holding back until they feel that they've got the perfect point or they've got it exactly right there's fantastic data on um, men generally just being much more comfortable with um, estimating, not guessing or getting it wrong, but much more comfortable with. If there's a question, with giving a percentage that's broadly right, whereas women general, generally will be will be thinking, see the 79 or it's 78, and um, and they'll just have that moment of hesitancy. So while the woman is sitting there hesitating a little bit about not looking sh- like she knows what she's doing, the man's gone in with 80 and confidently, and the impression you get is, well, the man's in control. He's, he knows what he's doing. The woman's a bit unsure of herself, isn't it? She isn't, she, she's a bit shaky. Actually, the answer was 78.5. But who remembers that? All anyone remembers is man was confident, woman was shaky. Imagine what that does to a woman in in her attempt to, you know, project a point confidently. What you will hear if you listen out for it, you'll hear women rushing. You'll hear them flustered. You'll hear them not making the point very confidently because they know they're going to get cut off. I've literally seen men holding court in a meeting for 10 minutes, not the owner of the meeting, not somebody who was giving a presentation, somebody literally just expressing their opinion holding court for 10 minutes, making multiple points without a single peep from anybody. I have never seen a woman being given the space in a meeting to do that.
0: Men are often pretty savvy about that performance. You introduce the concept of the umbrella theory in the book. You talked about how men get out from the shade of the umbrella and network and and make sure that they pull the boss in to see what clever things they're doing and the struggles they're facing. Whereas you, in one of your examples, say that you thought the right thing to do was just to get on with it, complete the job, without bothering your boss. But that was wrong, wasn't it?
1: You know, the umbrella theory is probably the thing that I I talk about most. And it's the one that when I talk about it, women say, oh, oh, this is so I have been doing this my entire career. And men as well have a bit of of an epiphany when they realize that that women are doing this. And, you know, to explain it a little bit, the concept Mm -hmm. is that when we're working in a team with a with management, the management don't actually see the work that we're doing. They don't they don't actually really know what we're doing most of the time or how good it is how brilliant it is because actually if you're a senior manager in an organization or even a manager what you're actually looking down on is the tops of lots of umbrellas lots of the organization is is opened umbrellas to you you don't really see what's going on underneath so when you're underneath that umbrella if you never pull the umbrella aside and show the boss proactively what you're doing how the project's going. Um, get get their input. Your boss literally may not have a clue how brilliant your work is. And in general, again, generalization. Men are more savvy about the umbrella theory. They do not believe in the myth of meritocracy. They think it's laughable. Whereas many women do. Women will tell you, honestly, John. In my career, I've mentored hundreds of women, coached hundreds of women, and every single one of them has said this to me verbatim. I do brilliant work. My work should speak for itself. I, sh- I do not have time to market my work and myself. I need to just do the work. It should speak for itself. Men know that's laughable, right? Because the work, nobody sees it if you don't market it. Men are more savvy on this. Women need to get a lot better at it. But there is a very real thing that we have to acknowledge, which is the time gap you know i always apologize to men in advance before i say this because if you know if any man listening is is a man who's in a relationship has a family and is doing 50% of all of the work for the home and the family then i apologize fantastic that's as it should be please keep doing that but the reality is based on the data in in virtually all relationships uh, the woman is doing 80% or more of the work for the house for the family, for the kids, for running the home, even if she's got a full-time career of her own. So as a time gap there. It just just doesn't add up, right? You're looking at, you know, a woman maybe spending up to three hours extra a day on all of this stuff. She literally has less time in the day than a man does, who's not doing that for her career and for networking and marketing
0: her work it's a real barrier a real burden managing a home and and managing a business but some women do manage it around seven percent of leaders of big businesses are women how are they overcoming those challenges
1: Yeah, I call them my super 7% and it's a chapter in the book called The Women Who Win at Work because, you know, what I realized as I was writing the book, I had most of the chapters in my head before I started to write, but I realized, hold on, we need to talk about the women who do win at work, right? Because it's not 100% of the leadership positions in the world taken by men. It's 90 something percent. So there are some women who are doing this So I call them my super 7% and they're the women who, you know, they must have encountered all the same issues that the rest of us women have, but somehow they've managed to make it. I interviewed so many incredible women. But absolutely one of the things that they had in common, that's potentially the most important, is they realised very early on that you cannot do it all. You can have it all, but you can't do it all. Because there are not the hours in the day to be CEO of the business and CEO of the house. It just doesn't add up. I have never, ever, in all the time I've been looking into this, found a super 7% woman who's you know really at the top of her career ladder in whatever business or organization she is in, who's also running the house. She either has chosen not to have frankly a family Um some, some women have or she has found she has a partner who has basically is playing what we would traditionally see as the wife role who is basically CEO of the house um, and have you know toned down their own own career in order to do that or if that's not the case as a couple they have hired the hell out of help they have spent the money on the cleaners the gardeners the childcare. they have thrown money at that because they are smart enough to know that they cannot do the career and do that as well please either find yourself an extremely supportive uh, partner who's going to be 50 50 with you or find another solution i always say you know, to people in relationships, we'll never be 50-50 in the workplace until we're 50-50 in the home. It's just never, ever going to add up.
0: I think a lot of people should write that down and put that up on the wall. I think that's fantastic. Jill, we're fast running out of time. You, you finish your book with some practical steps that everyone can do. And I mean everyone. This is, this is one of those things I love so much about your book. You've got advice for parents, teachers, managers, organisations, for men and for women. I hope listeners will read it for themselves. But in the meantime, could you pick out a couple of things we can all work on?
1: I mean, there are so many, as you know, the last chapter of why men win at work is a to-do list for everyone, right? There's a a massive to-do list for everybody. And it's based on once we've understood why this happens and why men win at work, why we are, we convince all the invisible forces that convince us that men are always stronger, even when they're not. When you understand why, then you could act on it, right? We can all act on it. I'll share a few of, I think, the most important ones. I think, for women, the first thing I would say is, if you can't sit there and say, I have a confident core, I found it, I know it, I know what my superpowers are, I know what I bring, and I know that any room, any meeting I go into, when I can bring these, I am going to perform brilliantly and confidently. If you can't do that, please, please take the time, just a little bit of time for yourself. Um, I do a lot of find your confident core work in workshops, in coaching. It doesn't take long. Please do that for yourself because you will not be successful in your career until you've found your confident core because why would anyone else be confident in you if you're not supremely confident in yourself? Second big thing I'd say to women is never forget that umbrella theory. Never forget that umbrella theory. You have to come out from under that umbrella your work will not speak for itself your work has to be visible you have to be visible you have to be known by your boss please do that and then you know I'll end with men because you are the most important actually and it pains me to say it but you have over 90% of the leadership of the world of business and of the world of society of everything so You know what? You're either taking every decision that is ever made or you're seriously influencing it. So, you know what? If you don't buy into gender equality as an important thing and as something that's a win for everybody, we're never going to fix it. Women can do what they want. We'll never make any progress until men are on side. And so I would say to all men, you know, please, there's nothing to fear here
0: well that's inspired me and you've inspired me but i feel i just need to ask you one final question which is what's next have you got another book in you
1: do you know i i i i have maybe but actually not a non-fiction one i i really believe that I've said pretty much what I have to say about equality and diversity in this book. I, I think, if I may, I think it's very complete. I think it, I intended it to be a real summary of all of the things that cause this issue and what we need to do about them. And I, and I think it holds up well on that. So I wouldn't want to write another, another book out this, about this just to repeat that and for the sake of it. But I tell you what I would like to do is write fiction book about this because do you know what with the best will in the world there are only a certain number of people who are ever going to read a business book like this but the potential that a work of fiction has to reach people with these messages is very very interesting so I I would love to do that at some point if I get the time I would love to actually put some of these concepts into um, an inspiring work of fiction that could really reach a lot of people and with a lightness of touch that, you know, people would uh, could touch people and help them understand and, you know, contribute to us making some real changes.
0: I look forward to reading that book, Jill. Thank you so much for your time. As well as her book, Why Men Win at Work, Jill offers workshops based on the ideas in the book. You can learn more about these on her website, jillwittycollins.com. We'll share a link to that in the show notes. But until next time, be safe, be remarkable, be the difference.